Welcome to the Banyan Edge Podcast. Here's your host, Charles Sizemore. Welcome to the Banyan Edge Podcast, America's number one source for safer, smarter, more profitable investing, where we aim to bring you the very best insights from the very best minds in the business, completely filter-free. I am your host, Charles Sizemore, and today we are taking out the trash. Of course, my friend Adam O'Dell in his recent Banyan Edge article used more colorful, scatological language, but we are referring to uh, some of the problem children of 2022. Some of these, some of the stocks got beat up the most. 2022 had been rallying the hardest uh, these five weeks into 2023. Tesla, fine example, up over 50% already. Uh, Peloton, the uh, the uh, indoor bike maker, they're up over 100% year to date. And of course, my personal favorite, Carvana, is up about 200% year to date. Now, our own Charles Mizrahi, he had some rather, uh, he, every time I see Carvana in the press, I'm just, I can't help but think of Charles's uh, very apt description here. We referred to it as a Pez dispenser for cars. I just, that's such a colorful metaphor there. And uh, it is a company that has never had any possibility of turning a profit, never will, never has, it doesn't matter. And I indulge me here for a minute. I actually know a little bit about used cars. One of my grandfather's businesses, businesses back in the day was he actually owned a used car lot. And so he would, uh, in car, this is Carvana's deal, is they uh, claim to have uh, what they would call geographic arbitrage. They would find cars that are in oversupply in certain markets and then uh, buy them up and then sell them in markets where there is high demand. And that sounds good. And people in the business actually do that. My grandfather, if he knew that uh, a certain make and model was popular in his area, Fort Smith, Arkansas, and he knew that they were in oversupply somewhere else. He had crammed his crew into the cars. They would drive out there like clown car style. And each, each guy would get in a car that they bought and drive it back to sell, rinse and repeat. So the model does work if you actually do it. The issue is Carvana wasn't doing that at all. Like they were paying a premium rather than getting these cars cheaply and selling them expensively. They were paying out the wazoo. It's, it was a business model that's hope, hopelessly flawed from the beginning. Yet this stock is up 200% this year. Now, Adam, I know you have some very clear thoughts on this. You wrote about it recently in Banyan Edge. What's going on? Is Carvana suddenly profitable? Has they, have they somehow managed to figure out this business model in the last five weeks? Uh, no, absolutely not. And it's not just Carvana. Um, on this list of stocks that did the best in January include Wayfair and Zillow Group and Open Door. Um, the last two, Open Door and Zillow Group, they were doing this iBuyer program where they're basically doing the same thing as Carvana, buying uh, buying inventory off the market at an above market rate price and then trying to sell it. Um, they were basically just a loss leader for trying to grow their companies. But the bigger story is, here is that I did analysis of um, of the 1,000 largest stocks, the Russell 1,000, the 35 stocks that did the best in January. They had basically rallies from 33% up to 115% with Carvana being the most. This group of stocks were the stocks that did the worst in 2022. So 2022 was one of those years that, you know, Warren Buffett said, when the tide goes out, you know, who's swimming without shorts on. And that's really what we saw in 2022. It was some companies like Carvana who have a failed uh, business model and were never profitable. And you also have profitable companies like Tesla, but that just traded at insanely uh, high valuations. I mean, at one point in 2021, Tesla traded at a price to earnings ratio of 1,103. So it's absolutely insane. Um, so really what we saw in January was kind of a reversal of 2022. And to me, that shows uh, short covering. A lot of folks piled into uh, short trades 
on the stocks that were absolutely tanking throughout 2022. And then in January, they all seemed at once to want to start booking their profits. So they started booking their profits by buying shares of those stocks back. And that caused um, the rally that we're seeing in these junk stocks. I remember right, Carvana, I looked at this fairly recently. The uh, the short interest was over 50% of the float. It was hovering between 50 and 60%. So, you know, in plain English, that means you had this massive pool of forced buying that had to happen because everybody that shorts a stock has to buy it back. It's not like they have the choice to buy it back. They have to. Uh, that's what happens when you when you sell a stock short. You're actually borrowing the shares with the understanding that you will be buying them to pay them back. Now, Ian, um, I know you're before you started writing about investments. You know, you had um, you know you were in the trenches as, as as a hedge fund trader. You know, you've you you've seen some stuff. I mean, I know you've seen some of this in, in the wild. You know, can you uh, tell us a good story? Tell us a good story. I've seen some stuff that's uh, fairly accurate. Like war stories here. I've seen things. Yeah. Well, I just want to take a, a, a put a little perspective, though. Um, just sometimes one person's trash is another person's treasure, right? So, like, there are a lot of companies right now that obviously, for one reason or another, might not be here three, four years down the road, but there's a lot of babies that have been thrown out with the bathwater, if I can use another metaphor. And, you know, I always think back to like, the realm of possibilities when you're thinking about investing, right? And wh wh where where are you going to have like some type of asymmetrical upside? And like the case that you guys are making, I mean, I, I'm not a big fan of Carvana, and I agree that you know the business model is inherently flawed. Even though they were making more money on flipping these cars than some of their competitors at the time, and also you know the the, the Carvana the, the reason why they've lost so much money is because they basically were buying cars when the Mannheim car used price index was at its high, and then the thing dipped and. You know, it's hard to make money if the used car prices are going up and you're acquiring them along the way, you'll make money. Um, but, you know, I think back to like, we had a similar bubble like in 2000, 2002, where we had this, you know, brand new wave of disruptive companies, lots of innovation, everything from dot com. And, you know, also there were networking companies that were involved as well in that in that big tech bubble in 2000. But, you know, there were some opportunities at the lows of those bear markets that were absolutely historic and generational. And the reason why not everyone is able to capitalize on, let's say, you know, a thousand X return in Amazon is because it's very hard, right? It's hard to hold on to these stocks when they're near the lows. You see these crazy amounts of volatility where, you know, you have months where the thing goes up 50% and the next, next month it's down another 50%. Uh, but, you know, there will be, some companies that emerged from this time period that we look back and say, oh, my God, I just wish I bought that one. Right. And there, I heard the same things about Amazon back then. I didn't buy Amazon because everybody said, oh, the company's not profitable. They'll never make money. They called it the river of no returns, it, which and that seems so ridiculous now, of course. But that was the snide comment at the time. Yeah. And, and just, you know, just think about like how the Gartner hype cycle works. So you have this technology trigger, this brand new technology, and then you, it forces a mania. And basically, you know, all of a sudden everybody realizes that the expectations that they had for the company or the technology isn't arriving tomorrow. And you know, they, they sell. And then you have the kind of period we have now. And then slowly things emerge and uh, these companies and the technology start to see real world adoption. And then you get this like longer term trend, which is, I believe, you know, what you saw from Amazon, basically from the dot-com lows until where we are now, 
obviously Jeff Bezos, you know, has done much more than e-commerce. And I think they make 30% of their profits from the cloud right now. So, um, so th there's no like, direct comparison to Amazon, but I'm just saying that we've seen a similar scenario unfold before with what you think is trash yeah. becomes somebody else's treasure. No, for sure. But part of what we're seeing beyond that, when you see it rip this quickly, when you see something ripped this quickly, it's usually not new buyers that are big believers in the company. They come later. What we're seeing at this stage is more that that short covering. Yeah, and Adam, I remember this. This was fun. I, like you and I actually made some money on this uh, not that long ago. It was uh, early 2021, uh, around the time there was that epic short squeeze in uh, GameStop. And we, uh, you actually recommended uh, National Beverage, you know, the maker of LaCroix. And one of the, the factors that, that we listed for a potential catalyst that could really send that thing to the moon was the high short interest at the stock at that point. And it's not like we knew it was going to get squeezed. No one ever knows, but we knew that given the high short interest, that was a really you know, good potential catalyst. And what was our return in that? In, in It was January. I remember when it was. It was January 2021. At, we were up like 100% in a month, weren't we? Yeah, we locked in gains of over 100% um, basically within a day. I mean, it was it happened within months of us getting into the position. I mean, I want, I want to be clear that in that service, we were buying stocks for the long run. We were using yep. my six-factor rating model to find stocks that rate well in momentum, quality, valuations, growth, Etc. And um, Fizz was the ticker, F-I-Z-Z. -Z. Yep. Um, you know, it rated in the in the high 80s. So it was a it was a company that we wanted to own. But sometimes in our research, when we do our due diligence, we find these factors that um, you know are kind of like the the cherry on top, so to speak. And and this, uh, I think it was like 35 days of short interest, meaning that if all of the short sellers began at once to start buying back shares of their the stock that they were short. Uh, because they were taking too big of a losses. If they all started buying back, it would take 35 days of the average volume in that stock for those shorts to be covered. Um, and really, when you see a situation like that, you know that the price can absolutely just scream higher if these short sellers all, you know, call, um, you know, call Uncle uh, and, and kind of fold all at once. Um, so that's really what we took advantage of there. But I mean, whether it's a short squeeze by shorts um, that are taking a bath on their on their position, or whether it's short covering by shorts that are taking their profits, um, the the message at the end of the day is you want to figure out what's causing the price to go higher. Is it shorts unwinding their position? Because if that's what you're buying into, it's probably a short lived rally. Um, uh, otherwise, if it's long term serious investors that are buying because the valuation of the stock is wonderful. Then that's um, you know more uh, sustainable. So that's really what I see in January is a rally that isn't sustainable because I believe that most of it is people either um, covering their shorts or people who are trying to whatever they fell in love with in 2021. Uh, they're waiting on a Fed pivot just to pile back into the same exact stocks in 2023, and I don't happen to think that's going to work across the board either. Yeah, these aren't people buying these stocks because they see them as long-term investments. Now, some people may be, of course, but when you see this kind of spike, like that's that's what it is. These are short-term traders that are sort of obliged to to buy. Now, where, where this gets fun, and and you know, we've all made money going long in stocks. We've all made money going short in them. But this short covering uh, dynamic, I kind of, it really boosts the volatility, which, which makes for some interesting setups. Like, I think that's really kind of what makes this, like, what, what makes this interesting. Now, now where you can get into trouble. 
So let's, let's say you've identified a stock that's run up, you know, too far, too fast. Like, you know, it's, it's not sustainable, like everything, you know, all of your models tell you this is not, this is not a sustainable rally. Going short can be problematic for the reasons we discussed. Like, like, like when you see these squeezes, you don't want to be one of the shorts getting squeezed. So even if you're betting against a stock because you have every reason to believe this thing is going lower, you can still get squeezed. So Adam, I know that you don't get squeezed. Like, like you, you've, you've made several good positions on the long side and the short side over the last year and getting squeezed was never really part of the equation for you. So how do you, how do you manage that risk? Like how do you mitigate that? Yeah, it all matters what vehicle you use. I have never in my more than a decade of writing newsletters for you know regular uh, investors uh, that subscribe to our research, I've never once recommended uh, selling short actual shares of stock. And the reason I do that is that your potential profit is capped at 1x, basically 100% if the stock goes to zero. Uh, whereas if your potential losses or your risk could be 2x, 3x, 5x, 10x, it could be 20x. Um, so really, the asymmetry of risk and return is not in your favor. You're trying to pick up a dollar, but you're risking three, four, five dollars potentially. Um, I like the relationship when it's in the uh, reverse order. So basically, for the past 10 years, uh, if I do see a short opportunity, if I see a stock that's just priced too high or a market that's rolling over and I want to bet on a decline in the price, um, I've been basically helping my, helping my subscribers buy put options. When you buy a put option, your risk is limited to 1x but your potential return is 2x, 5x, 10x or more. Um, so really that's um, the way I implement uh, a short. And, and most of the time we're going long. I mean, I'm an optimistic, um, you know, cautious optimist that likes to play on the bull side as well. But uh, last year we saw, you know, a number of opportunities to be on the short side of the market. And that was one of the few things that worked last year. So. Yeah, no, and, I think. And I, I would, let me just jump in here for a second. So, sure. you know, I would also note that Given the time period that we are now, very similar to 2000, 2002, like I said, you had 13 short squeeze or, you know, bear market rallies, whatever you want to call it, of 20% or more in the NASDAQ. And, you know, I think the climax of that was after 9-11, which, you know, I, I worked in lower Manhattan at the time. And I remember we closed the markets for a week and we got back to work. The market had this uh, huge sell-off. I think the Dow was down like 1,500 points or something like that, which was pretty significant when the Dow was 8,000. The market rallied 40% off that over the next three months, but we still were in a bear market and then it rolled over sure. again. So, you know, like I think this year is going to be one of those years where it's really tricky. You're going to have these huge moves up in a lot of stocks that everyone thinks is, you know, are done. And then the volatility will continue on both the long and short side. But, you know, as somebody who I kind of like made a name for myself on the short side of the market during the financial crisis, shorts are way more fun than longs because the, the profits come so much faster because you know the the escalator up which means the market slowly grinds higher normally an elevator down uh it, it if you are in the right put position in in short you know i know I, you don't like to short stocks and and i prefer puts too because you make money on the volatility as well if you're in the right puts and let's say the stock drops 10 15 maybe 20 percent in another couple of days you know, depending on how long your time to expiration is, how far out of the money is, you can make like 10 to 20 X sometimes um, in some of these put positions. So, you know, it, it, yeah. it and, and these are like the kind of like tradable markets that we're seeing right now for that type of strategy. No, that, that's, that's exactly it. And uh, it is funny. Like we're basically three guys that are pretty bullish generally, but mm -hmm. you know, we, we do see opportunities on the short side from time to time here. And Adam, so you know, kind of piggybacking on what Ian was saying there. So you get these setups. 
I know that you you're you, you see one now. Like we've talked about it. Like you're you you believe what you know this big rally in January that we saw that's bled over into February. You see that this is kind of setting us up for a really kind of epic trade here. So why, why don't you give us some detail on that? I, I couldn't say it better myself. I see opportunities on both the long side and the short side. Some of the services I run uh, are long only. Uh, we have a small cap service where we're buying small cap higher growth stocks, and we're trying to use the bear market to get in at good prices and position ourselves for the, the inevitable next bull market. Um, so that's certainly what we're doing on the long side. But last year, I put on um, a number of short positions via put options, and we were nine for nine profitable on our exits last year. Um, the company I have in my sites right now is profitable. It, it's better than Carvana. It's better than you know a lot of the completely um, garbage stocks out there. And that's really what's misleading about it is it has this kind of illusion of profitability. It became profitable in 2020 for the first time for a full year. Uh, its profits are going growing quickly. It kind of became one of the poster childs for the uh, the bull market in 2020 and 2021, the kind of the climatic stage of it. Um, but the problem I have with this company is its valuations. Uh, so it's, value, it's valued more than like five or six of its competitors all combined. Uh, at one point last year, it was trading at a price to earnings ratio of 1,103. Um, so really, I mean, the price, it doesn't matter how good a company is. It doesn't matter if, if they're leading a revolutionary technology. It doesn't matter what their growth rates are. It really, at the, at the end of the day, if you pay way too high of a multiple in that stock, it's either dead money or it's going to be uh, moving against you uh, going lower. Um, so really, I believe that, you know, last year was kind of the year that everybody stopped paying the high price earnings multiples and we're seeing that compression. Um, and then I think that it's going to continue this year in some of the most, uh, you know, expensive stocks. Yeah, no, that's been one of your themes of the last um, actually couple months now was just compression. Some of the, you know, the high multiples that were made possible by essentially free money from the Fed, et cetera. We're in a different environment now and that, you know, it is natural that we've had compression and it's natural that we'll have some more, particularly in some of um, some of these names. Now, um, you know, I think that's, you know, I think that kind of sums that up. I do know we've had some some questions come in here and um, Adam, I'm going to let you field this first one because uh, this is actually in direct response to one of your articles. This is a really long question, so I'm actually going to summarize it a little bit, but this is uh, uh, referring to foreign markets. James called, uh, writes in to say, in regard to your Banyan Edge piece from January 27th, what is not discussed by Odell, probably because he wasn't born yet, is why foreign markets had upsurges in his chart cycles of US equity outperformance. The difficulty in predicting when to bail out of foreign markets is much more risky than Odell makes it sound for all kinds of reasons. Look at Alibaba, for example. Um, far more volatile is the power of the dollar and the Fed to flip those markets on their head in an instant when, uh, in an instant with announced or worse, unannounced policy changes. What becomes of a diversified whole market portfolio then? So kind of to boil this down into a very simple question. Yeah. Um, I'll summarize markets. it. I'll, I'll jump in sure. and summarize that. Um, I wrote a piece recently how um, U.S. stocks do not always outperform foreign stocks over certain cycles. That it's kind of a, it's a cycle where you get bouts of outperformance from foreign, and then there's a part of the cycle that you get parts of outperformance from U.S. And we've just finished a 15 to 16 year period where U.S. stocks outperform. So most investors that have been in the market the past couple of decades kind of make this assumption that U.S. stocks always outperform, like we're guaranteed to outperform or like we're entitled.
entitled to outperform foreign foreign markets. Um, so I was actually alive when uh, foreign markets outperformed between 2000 and 2007. China's big build out, you know, EM emerging markets and, and China did well during that period, outperformed U.S. stocks. Um, so I'll counter that little shot. But um, is, is investing in foreign markets uh, somewhat riskier than investing in U.S. stocks? Potentially, but that's also why you get you know, excess return during certain parts of the market. Um, so I'm looking at valuations. And if you just look at starting point valuations from today, emerging market, Chinese, and even foreign developed stocks are cheaper today than their U.S. counterparts. So that's, I'm making kind of a broad generalization that you may have better valuations to buy into today if you look and are willing to look outside the U.S. Now, you either want to get into a company that you think the Chinese government can't take down, which I realize is difficult. You could buy a foreign market ETF and diversify so that you're not uh, beholden to one sector or one stock getting um, picked on, so to speak. Um, the other thing that this reader mentions is the U.S. dollar. Typically, emerging market stocks do better when the dollar is falling. So tell me why then during the period of a strong dollar um, about six months ago, did we actually see emerging markets do well? Typically, when you see a market do well against a headwind, when it should be enjoying a tailwind, it you have to wonder what happens when that headwind turns into a tailwind. And that's really what we see in the dollar. So yeah, of course, emerging market stocks are going to be moved by the dollar. But all I was really pointing out in that piece is that there are periods where you have better opportunities outside the market if you know where to look, and uh, you shouldn't be afraid to go where the money is. I think that sums it up. You just go where the money is. You know, the U.S. is the biggest, the U.S. market's been the biggest creator of wealth in human history, but it doesn't mean it's the best place to be at every time. There's other times emerging markets are better, just non-U.S. markets in general are better. So I think that's, I think you summed it up when you said follow the money. So one more question, and uh, this is in reference to uh, a, a chat we had a couple of weeks ago where we talked about gold. Um, as a general rule, our group was fairly bullish on gold. At least we were bullish on the idea of having gold as a diversifier in the portfolio. Ron writes in to ask, can gold held in an IRA be physically held in your possession or must it be, must it be held by the IRA custodian? So I'll, I'll actually answer this one. I'll, I'll answer it. I'll answer this one. Um, as a general rule, you don't want to mess around and push the limits with anything involving an IRA because if you go too far on that, the IRS can essentially dissolve your IRA and then you're liable for taxes. So don't don't push it. If you want to hold gold in an IRA, go for it. There's nothing wrong with doing that. You can do it as an ETF. You can do it as physical gold. Like that's something that a lot of people do. <clears throat> a lot of people do, and, and it, it's fine. But if you do it, make sure you're using a reputable IRA custodian and that they're the ones watching it. You don't want the gold sitting in your living room and then claiming it's in your IRA. That's that's when you'll get in trouble. So guys, that's going to wrap it up. Um, thanks for joining me today. I, I think um, this was very insightful for our, our, our viewers here. I, you know, we, there are incredible opportunities in, in the, the months ahead. We're all looking kind of past this bear market into the next bull market to come. But there's still some money to be made on the short side, potentially. So that's going to wrap it up. Adam's actually going to join me again next week, where we're going to develop this uh, theme a little bit more. And we're going to go into more details about what that next big short is. So until then, safe trading.